You are listening to Your First 100K, the number one podcast for Christian entrepreneurs, coaches, and business owners who want time freedom and financial freedom so that they can provide for their families, travel the world, and give back to the less fortunate. If that's you, then sit back and stay tuned in because you're in the right place. I'm your host, Joseph Warren. I started my first multi-million dollar business at age 19 and wasted away my 20s trying to find happiness through money, success, and pleasure. I made millions, but I still didn't feel happy or fulfilled until I learned the real secrets of success. So the big question is this, how can Christian entrepreneurs like us who didn't give up on our dreams build a highly profitable six to seven figure business without being unethical, doing it all ourselves and neglecting our family and our faith? Well, that is the question. And this podcast will give you the solutions and strategies you've been looking for. Thanks for spending time with me today. If you're new here, then welcome. I have a free 10-day training waiting for you over at first100k.com. Again, go to first100k.com to grab your free 10-day training. Today, my featured guest is Chad Griffiths, and Chad has been an industrial real estate broker since 2005. What is an industrial real estate broker, you might be thinking? I have no idea. That's why we're bringing him on the show to school us and educate on us on what is that. Is it relevant to you in your business right now, Startup Nation? And what has been the success principles and strategies that Chad has used to break into the past the six-figure mark into the seven-figure mark in his business that you can use in your business, regardless of your industry? Okay, so we're going to get into that. Now, over the past 16 years, uh, Chad has completed over 500 transactions with clients ranging from local companies to large institutional owners. He's proud to be a perennial top producer and a partner with his firm. In addition to earning his SIOR and CCIM designations, which is just industry jargon you don't need to know, but it's probably really important to him, he's earned a diploma in urban land economics from UBC an MBA from Thompson Rivers University. He's given numerous interviews locally and nationally regarding the commercial real estate market and has had articles published in Forbes magazine, Western Investor and Real Estate Magazine. Chad recently started a YouTube channel where he shares his knowledge and passion for the industrial real estate industry. Did you even know that you could be passionate in this industry? I didn't know, but I want to know now. All right, Chad Griffiths, welcome to your first 100K Top 100 Podcast in Entrepreneurship. Go ahead and uh, just take 30 to 60 seconds, fill in some of the gaps in that intro if we had any, okay? Yeah, and thanks so much for having me on the show. I love the energy. I'll try to match that energy as much as I can. And you're right. I It is probably an unusual thing to be passionate about industrial real estate. I am probably one of the few in the world that is as passionate as I am. Uh, but I got into it in 2005. And li like most people out there, probably no experience or knowledge on industrial real estate. I didn't know what it was either. I thought I was going to be working selling office towers or shopping malls, kind of that sexy asset class. 
class and office just happened to do industrial. So purely by accident, although I could could say it was luck because it's turned out to be a, a, a wonderful journey for me, became a partner in my firm in 2014. I started investing in properties myself uh, that same year uh, and with partners and, and some financing, we've built a portfolio of about $26 million worth of industrial property right now. So I, I'm not under, uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say I literally live, breathe and sleep industrial real estate. All right. So you got to school us real quick. Give me a one sentence description definition of what industrial real estate is. Buildings where things are stored or buildings where things are made. And just if I could expand on it just real quick, store, uh, for where things are stored, it can be a, an Amazon fulfillment center. They have all the stuff come in, could be in large bulk quantities, gets broken down, shipped out in trucks to various locations. Th those warehouses exist everywhere. And I'm sure most, most people are familiar with them now. Actually, if you walk into a Home Depot, a Home Depot is a warehouse. It's mm -hmm. racks and racks of storage. It's located in a retail area, but it really is just a big warehouse. Manufacturing, things are made. I was just in Seattle uh, this past weekend. I drove by the Boeing factory where they manufacture the, uh, the airplanes. Four million square foot facility, which is enormous. Largest building in the world by volume. And it's just all the raw materials come in. They get produced, manufactured, assembled into the final airplane. Then they get shipped out the door. So manufacturing can be anything. There's hundreds and hundreds of different types of manufacturers, mm -hmm. uh, but that's that's really the bulk of. I know I, I took a little bit of liberty with your one sentence explanation, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I think you summed it up. So here in the U.S., like you know, you'll drive through a business district, you see the you know shopping centers, retail strip centers, all that, and then you'll get uh, what we call here an industrial park. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's just all the warehouses and just big buildings where, uh, you know, these companies do this. They store stuff, they manufacture stuff, etc. So that's what you're doing. You're investing in these buildings, purchasing them and then leasing them out or flipping them and selling them for profit. Is that correct? Yeah, I've, I've only sold one property uh, since we started buying and that was just it didn't fit in our portfolio anymore. Other than that, I'm I'm a long term investor. Like I'm I think 20, 30 plus year capital that I have in there it might not even be mine. I might pass it on to my kids at some point, but I, I am a, a buy and hold investor. And then as a broker, uh, which is still my day to day job, I, I'm helping other clients do it. So it's similar to the residential model where a, a residential realtor is trying to match a buyer and a seller. I'm trying to match an industrial. So it could be a corporation that needs a new facility for their warehouse. Maybe they want to buy it. Maybe they want to lease it. So I, I'm brokering deals the same way that that uh, the traditional real estate model uh, works as well. All right. So you entered this industry not knowing a thing about it, correct? Nothing. Okay. I, awesome. I, the, the best story, if I could just uh, share one funny story. I have a guy that said this to me a while ago and it's still stuck with me. And I think this sums it up perfectly. He said, the only thing I know about industrial real estate is when I make a wrong turn and I end up in an industrial park. And uh, the only thing I'm trying to do is figure out how I get back on the highway. Uh, and that's well, that was me. I was deer in the headlights. I had no idea anything about industrial when I started. Okay. So this is good because Startup Nation, maybe you have entered an industry where you had no experience in whatsoever and you're just figuring it out as you go, right? So we're going to learn from Chad. We're going to learn from his experience uh, in his industry. And I want you just to pull out the 
the wisdom nuggets uh, for yourself of what you can do right now in your industry, in your business, okay, that Chad's done in his. Now, Chad, when you entered in, what was your first, say, three steps you took in this industry that actually worked out for you? Yeah, I, and I, I look back on this with what I would hope I would have done, and, and I know this wouldn't have been perfect, but I really did try to build as many solid relationships as I could. It's it's just important to have that long-term vision that I'm not necessarily trying to sell somebody on the first meeting. Instead, I just wanted to cultivate a, a more of a longer-term relationship. So focusing on relationships was key. I joined a ton of networking groups and Toastmasters. I joined a Rotary Club. Uh, I was just trying to be as involved in the community as I possibly could. Uh, I reached out to as many people as I could, uh, not even just from a prospecting standpoint, but reaching out to people that I talked to in the past, uh, asking them if they knew of anyone that I could be put in touch with, just really trying to cast as wide of a net as I could. And then I tried to, and and I failed at, at the beginning. I made a number of mistakes on this. I tried to know as much as I could about industrial real estate. So I was coming into it with no guidebook. It's an industry where there isn't really a, a, a map on what you need to do and where you need to go. So I was trying to figure it out as I was going. I really wanted to be an expert in the industry. That was a goal of mine. Failed and then numerous times in that endeavor and just made some really bad mistakes, which almost ruined my career at the beginning. Uh, but I really did have a focus on, I was trying to read as much as I could. The one designation that I got, which the industry jargon uh, is correct because outside of the industry, very few people know about it. I actually got that in 2007. So I'd, I'd only just started in the industry. I think it was two years in by that point. And I was still chasing that, that knowledge on trying to be an expert in the field. Uh, so that was the second one. And then the third one was just becoming an expert in the local market. So I, I would put that akin to whatever somebody, whatever business somebody's in, whether they're selling steak knives or whether they're selling a high, high priced item like industrial real estate, you need to know the local inventory. You just need to know what what people need when they're looking for a space, what's happening in the market, what what deals are happening. So if, if a $10 million building just sold, what were the terms of that? So if you're talking to another $10 million building owner, you can share that information with them. So focusing on becoming a local market expert was was the third thing that I did. And and I look back on that now and and I know that I was intentionally trying to do those, but it wasn't it wasn't nearly as easy to do as I'm trying to make it seem because I can say that in in a soundbite form, right? Is uh, you want to uh, commit to building relationships, you want to get to know the product that you're dealing with, and you want to get to know the market. It sounds very simple. We could say that in very quickly and, and concisely, but it's much harder to carry out in, in practice, especially when you're learning as you go. Uh, it's, 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 it'd be a, similar to a doctor that instead of taking eight years of medical school, they just went and started as a doctor and you're trying to learn as you're operating on patients. Uh, th there's a reason that they do that, that eight years of school before they do their residency. Whereas we often as, as business owners and entrepreneurs, we get thrown into the environment that you're trying to learn everything as you're actually doing it. And yeah, like, like I said, I, I made, I made numerous mistakes, some that could have been very costly. But I, I was able to maneuver around them and and was able to kind of navigate into a clear place. But it's easy to say th those three things were imperative to my success. But uh, it was it was a tough road. It was is not a straight line A to B. That's for sure. 
So we hear all the time, you know, something like 90% of businesses just fail miserably um, as they're learning through trial and error, these business owners. Why were you different? How did you make it through? Like, what did you do well, even with the fails? I think the one trait that has been successful for me is that I just refuse to quit. And that that could be termed resiliency. That could also be termed a stubbornness. That could also be termed foolishness. Had I continuously kept going on something with no clear path of success, I was just so determined to succeed in it that I figured I was going to I was going to do everything I, I possibly had to do. And if I had to risk my financial future by by the opportunity cost of perhaps just going to working for a job, uh, instead working in a full commission industry where there is no certainty of that, I was prepared to do that. I was prepared to do things that a lot of people might not be willing to do. Uh, and even going back to that networking comment, I started with doing Toastmasters and Rotary, but over the years, I, I worked my way up to serving on some boards, serving on some more high profile committees and, uh, and organizations. And that opened up just a lot of opportunities to meet new people and piggybacking on that idea of, of how I put such an emphasis on building relationships. If I could just meet more people, I took the approach that there might be one person that I meet that changes my life. Uh, but if I quit, if I quit, then I never meet that person. And I was, I, I was fortunate. I started when I was 25, I was 25 when I started. So I didn't have kids at the time. I didn't have a family at pretty low expenses so I could live fairly lean. Uh, but it, it was just a dogged determination that I just wanted to succeed and I could get kicked in the face every day and I would just still find a way to pick myself up and say, tomorrow will be even better. Just got to, got to wake up tomorrow and got to do the same thing. Were you at that time, were you doing any personal, uh, habits to keep your motivation up as you were getting your teeth kicked in every single day? I, I've always been a big reader. And around that time, I was probably reading a lot of motivational books or sales books. And I, I found over time that a lot of those books just become very repetitive. And there's the same information that gets put in there. But if you're reading that, I think just even by osmosis, just by having the book there, you're starting to think, there, well, here... I don't have a roadmap for success in industrial real estate, but I have a map. I've got a book, which is a guideline on how I can succeed in sales. So I, I kind of just stuck to the plan is I want to build those relationships. I, I I think I've got a pretty good way of, of building trust with people where I I never try to push a quick sale. I'm all, my message is always the same. I'm in this business for the long term. I'm, I'm not here to just do one transaction and then never speak to you again. I want to be able to do multiple transactions. I want to be a trusted advisor uh, to my clients. And, and I think if, if you're genuine in that message and people can feel that, then you really do start building trust where that, that person might not do business with you, but if they refer somebody to you or just say a good word about you, uh, that that's kind of the, my objective with everything was if, if I can just have somebody say, a good word about me if my name ever comes up in conversation that's that's a win for me i don't need to have business for it because everything is 
tied in. It's a massive ecosystem where where everything's connected. So one person saying a good word about me, that that in a conversation that I'm not involved in, if that comes back and then my name comes up in another circle and that person's like, this guy said he was a good guy, who knows where this business can manifest itself. And I think some of the most successful business operators have taken that approach is that you're trying to build a personal brand reputation just as much as you're trying to build a pipeline of, of sales. So I, I was just, I, I had that belief that if you're sticking to those fundamentals and you truly believe that success is possible, not inevitable, but possible, then I, I have to stick it through. And I was determined that I would go for broke. Uh, if I had to, I'd go for broke. I'd have to call up my parents and say, well, this ultimately failed. You were probably right. Because uh, mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of people don't get a, a ton of support when they start either. Uh, so I probably would have had to do that and then went and took on a job somewhere. Uh, but I was prepared to take it to the absolute limit uh, to succeed. We call that the entrepreneurial walk of shame. <laughs> you got to go back to the people that's the naysayers and say, I think you were right. But that's only if you quit Startup Nation. So don't ever quit. Don't ever quit. But know when to shift. Know when to pivot. Look at the signs on the wall, right? So some of the um, the principles, I guess, uh, or not principles, character traits you you adopted, took on, or maybe they were natural to you is, that you mentioned was resilience. You were a get back upper, you know, and and every time you fell, you're like, okay, tomorrow's a new day. One one new person I meet can change my life, can change everything, could turn it around. And you were determined. You were de determined to win, determined to succeed. So we got resilience. We got determination, Startup Nation. And then, you know, subtly, you mentioned it earlier, but you have this uh, this patience in focusing on the long term, So, it, which creates a perseverance, right? So you're able to wait for years and years and years to get the payoff. A lot of entrepreneurs are not wired that way. They're not. Now, for your industry where you're doing these larger deals, those tend to take longer, right, to get the payoff. So Startup Nation, this is very important. Are you going for high-ticket deals? If you are, you're going to need some patience and perseverance to win those, those relationships. If you're going for the, the lower ticket, and you're just looking for volume, well, that's the instant gratification. Are you wired more that way? Well, maybe go into a, a business where that's the case. Or if you're already in your business, how can you figure out your business model where you can get more of that instant gratification, those quick payoffs, low ticket um, you know, profit margins, uh, just so that you keep the lights on, you keep your motivation going while you're working for those big fish, those big whales. Anything you want to say around that, Chad? I completely agree. And, and the sales cycle for dealing with big projects is like you mentioned, it can be years, it can be a years, multi-year sales cycle. It can be quicker. I, I have done transactions that, that have been much shorter than that, but you do have to take that longer term outlook. And, and I would echo that completely is that having a long-term outlook is in my mind, absolutely necessary to have success in business. It's, it's just not, there's no business that can come in and instantly thrive. And there's no business that has success without having longer term success. 
I, I think of some of these businesses that come in and they maybe have a, a couple years of success and then they fizzle out and fail. And it could be a business or it could be an entrepreneur. Uh, they they come in and have that success and then they don't have that long-term outlook on on what's possible. And, and I, I go back to that one saying is that we all seem to overestimate what we can accomplish in one year and we all underestimate what we can accomplish in 10 years. So I, I've always just been that longer term thinker. Some of the things that I, I do right now are are things that might not pay off. It's, I'm I'm watering a seed that might not turn into a flower for ten years. Uh, but that's that's how I'm thinking about not everything. I, I do obviously still need to track day to day operations and things that I'm doing daily. But I have a certain amount of my time where I I'm thinking ten years out uh, as opposed to just what what am I going to accomplish in 2023. You know, in my 20s, I never thought that way. I was impatient. And, uh, you know, I made the quick money. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, I didn't see it coming, right? I didn't have that long-term outlook. And, you know, businesses went under, you know, just fails and fails. My motivation went down with it. You know, and then I hit my 30s. Yeah. You know, I still had that problem. And then into my 40s, I think, is when it started to kick in. The, more the long-term, let's build something that lasts, right? And to do that, I got to build relationships that last with people I actually want to do business and life with. And that, that really started to shift everything. All right, so you were a young guy, you were 25 years old. How did you get the funding to get into your initial deals in order to wait for these long sales cycles to actually pay off? Yeah, great question. And, and it took a long time. So I, I started as a broker in 2005. It took until 2014 before I bought my first property. And that, that was nine years uh, of, by that point, I'd started a family. So you're raising a family, you're buying a house, you're raising kids, it's expensive. And then you're trying to save uh, along the way. It, it just took that long before I was in a position to stabilize everything at my house uh, and, and then put the funds together that I could actually buy a property. So I, I, I'm invested in every single property that we've bought and I've got some partners on some properties and, and different ones on others, but I I've invested my own money in every single deal. So I haven't done the sponsorship where there's a GP and they raise funds from all the limited partners. I I'm a, a direct investor in everything we've bought. And it's it, over the years, as you start making more income and, mm. uh, and you just have more money to, to invest, we've bought bigger properties. But when I first started, the first property that me and one of my one partner, the two of us bought it, it was a small industrial condo. It was a four hundred thousand dollar building, and I think we each put down fifty grand. Uh, so it wasn't a crazy amount of money. I mean, I don't want to diminish fifty grand. That's still fifty grand. But at the time, it took me a lot of time to get to the position where I was comfortable not just investing the fifty grand, but knowing if everything went sideways, that 50 grand doesn't mean that my house is going to be foreclosed on. So I, I had a comfortable nest egg at that point to do that. And then it was just in, as brokerage business kept growing and, and uh, had more success than that, then I was able to just invest more money alongside of it. But I was, I was very patient. Uh, it's nine years, nine years from when I started until I bought the first property. It's a long time. It's like, you know, nine months to deliver a baby. Right. We're four months mm -hmm. pregnant, my wife and I right now. So oh, like, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. It's our number three. Number three. Go God. 
Uh, yeah, so we get it, man. It's like you're creating a new life, a new entity with your business, and uh, it takes time, years. So babies we could create in nine months. Think about that, a new human with a, like an eternal destiny. But a business takes nine years. What the bleep? That doesn't even make sense. But it is the case. It takes years to do a business right. All right. So uh, what was like your What's your best marketing secret that you got in your back pocket, man, that it just works for you? I've done a lot of things over the years. I've, I've done social media. I've done some of the more traditional marketing, uh, such as postcards or brochures and, and things like that. I think the biggest thing that works is just face-to-face communication. It's uh, it, And it was lost over this past two years where a lot of people just couldn't do the face-to-face. But in my mind, there's nothing more effective than shaking somebody's hand, looking them in the eyes, uh, and asking them for their business. There's there's just nothing as effective as that. The One example would be sending out flyers. You could send out 5,000 flyers, and you might be lucky to have one inquiry on it. Whereas if you met with... 50 people, 50 potential customers, and you you genuinely gave them a heartfelt proposal or or presentation on why you'd be a good fit for their business, and they believed you, your closing rate is infinitely higher than sending out 5,000 flyers. So in my mind, nothing beats as, as much, like I thoroughly enjoy conversations like this because it's better than the alternative it's better than not talking or perhaps one upgrade would be talking on the phone i love these zoom calls but nothing takes the place of you and i were having coffee right now and having this discussion so i'm thinking I, more like a a nice port and a cigar you're you're, you're reading uh, you're reading my mind <laughs> uh, i had a nice cigar in seattle and it was it was fantastic so a port and a cigar if i'm in tampa i'm gonna look you up and i'll take you up on that <laughs> All right. So I get what you're saying face to face. Right. And I think you're right. Like we have lost uh, some of that uh, routine of meeting people face to face, you know, due to COVID and everything that happened. It kind of like broke the stride, so to speak. And we isolated and then we got comfortable in the routine of just sitting at home. Right. Home offices, Zoom calls, etc. Just uh, a virtual uh, connection with people. So what are you doing right now? That's like working for you for that face to face. Cause you're dealing with high ticket, you know, transactions. Like where are you meeting these guys? Are these like industry conferences? And, you know, I'm, I'm asking the question for startup nation, for my audience to start coming up with some new possibilities of where they can go find some of their clients face to face right now. Yeah, what, what's worked for me in the past is that it is different now than what has worked in the past. So now that I've have, I have an established business, I've been doing this for 17 years, it's different now because I have a pretty established book of clients. So for me, it's pretty easy to reach out to any one of them and say, do you guys know of anyone that needs uh, a broker right now? And that's a pretty warm introduction. For people that are trying to just drum up business from, from the scratch, start, I would still be looking to have conversations like that. Uh, so if you know a lawyer, ask the lawyer if he has any clients that that have property that that they would just want to get an opinion on. I'm a big believer that it's a lot easier to take 
have people take your meetings if you're giving something of value as opposed to asking something that benefits you. And I could put myself in in this position now because I, I have younger brokers reach out to me fairly regularly and ask questions, but it's always about how I can help them. And I'm sure it's the same with you. Like I've, I'm busy. Like I've, I've got a pretty full agenda between uh, the brokers I'm a partner of, the properties that I manage, a family. I'm pretty busy. And when I get uh, people reaching out to me saying, can, can they pick my brain because they need help with something? I, I understand that. And, and if I am in a position to do that, I, I will. But contrast that to someone that says, uh, hey, can I help you do something? Uh, and I just, I'd love to learn about this and I'd love to see how I can be of help to you. And that that can be different for different people. So I don't think that there's a, a template answer on on how you can provide value to everybody, but it takes a bit of homework. So instead of just reaching out to someone and saying, Hey, I'm, I need help. Can you help me out with this? Well, take, do a little bit of work, like actually spend a little bit of time figuring out who that person is. Perhaps you could identify an area where you could be of assistance. And, and again, everybody I think is going to have a different outlook on, or they're going to have different requirements on what could help them. But I think if you approach it as how can I help you as opposed to, I need help and I want your time to do it people are pretty busy. And if, if that's the approach that you're taking, it's very hard to get in the door with that. So I, I think that that's worked well for me is if you can provide value, I, th I think that that's great. One example, actually, when I, when I first started out, uh, so for in the industrial real estate space is if I was talking to a property owner, I'd say something to the effect that uh, I, I'm not looking for your business right now. I'm just trying to build relationships in the area so that I know who the property owners are. And if you have any space come up, I might be able to match them with a tenant that I have. Uh, and what I can offer for you is that uh, if you ever want to know what a property across the streets looking uh, going for, or a deal that got done, I just want to be your resource uh, so that I can give you that information. And then if the time ever comes where you need a broker, I just love to be considered for that. And from their standpoint, they're like, okay, well, this guy's obviously in business. He's trying to generate business. We understand that, but he's offering something to me that's a value. And that's a lot different than just calling up somebody and saying, do you want to list your property with me? Or do you guys need a broker? That's, that's a very generic call that everybody does. But if you can offer something of value, I think it's just that much easier to get a face-to-face -face meeting. I think that's helpful. I agree with you. I think we should do more of it for sure. Um, you know, thanks for sharing that real life example from your industry and what's worked for you very effectively. So Startup Nation, now the ball gets passed to you. Like, Go do the homework. What is it that you could offer a potential client and then make the call with that offer? But I like the way Chad started that conversation he said hey i'm not looking for your business right now like immediately that's a disarming comment because what's the one thing they're thinking you're calling to get their business to get their money and if you say that right out the gate listen i'm not looking for to get your business right now i'm looking for some long-term relationships in this industry you know i respect you i respect your business what you've done and here's where i think i can help right now and if you ever think you can use my service, I would just love to be considered. Like, what a great posture, you know, to show up with. How'd I do with that? 
I, I, like that's to me that's so profound uh, that if I was a business owner, a property owner, or prospect, or whatever it was, that's so much different than the noise that comes through with most people's sales pitch, and even the term sales pitch has a misnomer to it because it does. When you say sales pitch, it comes across as a little sleazy, where if you're just trying to make an introduction, it's not a sales pitch. I'm not here to actually sell you anything. I'm just trying to build a long-term relationship. I, I want to start my career out by having some some great relationships with people in the industry. And in exchange for, for just entertaining this, I want to be your resource. I, if you need anything, if you want some, in my case, it's property data. If you want to know some some information that's happening in the market. I want to be the guy that you call. No expectation. I don't have any expectation that you'll they'll give me the business. But if you do have a need come up, I just like to be considered. I just like to be given the chance to compete against anyone else that you might have in mind. And then then you just have to have a really sharp axe so that when you're given the chance to swing it, you cut down that damn tree. Uh, but uh, it, it, I, I, I'm not going into it by swinging the axe. Like that's the difference is I'll have my axe ready if it's ever called upon. If he's like, okay, take a swing and let's see how good your swing is. I'll be ready. But I'm not going in with that first call and taking a swing because that's that's a very, very difficult way to get people to trust you. And it's a very difficult way to build those longer term relationships. All right, there you go. Startup Nation, there's your door opener. I mean, if you missed that, go ahead and pause and hit replay and write that down and then customize what we said, that communication, and customize it to your business, customize it to your ideal client, your avatar, and what's their need? You know, where can you help them possibly for free, right? Where you just be a resource to them. What are they looking for? What do they want to know? And they're too busy to go find out on their own. But maybe you could find out for them. That'd be pretty cool. Man, I really want people to call me now with that type <laughs> of posture. <laughs> I'd be like, well, actually, I could use information on this. I could use information on this. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. You, you'd, you'd take that call all day. And, and I, you would, I would. You'd remember it too. And if that person called you three months down the road just to follow up so if they're trying to create and i hate using the sales analogies because it does just sound a little corny but if they're using it as like a pipeline of saying we put this many people into the funnel and it's going to work its way down so they're calling you in three months because they're trying to nurture this funnel you're going to remember that and you're going to take that call uh, especially if they're calling with something of value to you uh, that hey, did you hear this piece of news i thought i thought of your industry uh, and and i thought that this could be useful for you. And especially if it was something useful to you, like you were like, Oh, I didn't actually even know that. that that's great. And that, that was it. That's all that the person said. And I like, just want to follow up. You remember if, if you have any needs, I just want to be considered for it. And that's it. Like that, to the power. Now you've made two calls or you've had two calls come into you. One was a guy introducing himself saying that he just wants to think of a long-term relationship. That's it. Doesn't sell you anything. The second call is he calls you to give you some valuable information that you didn't know before. Now that guy's made two calls to you. How much do you think you're going to remember that guy? Probably quite quite high. So, uh, like in my mind, that is, but it's a long term approach though. And and uh, there's far too many of us, and I include myself to some extent, are driven by instant gratification, right? Like you need to pick up that phone and you need to sell that guy. Maybe there's a sales manager. Maybe they're just the entrepreneurial spirit in you thinks that every call you make has to be a sale. And if, if that's the short-term narrow thinking, then first, I think it's very inefficient and very ineffective. 
but it's also going to lead to burnout because you're like cold calling people like that is very tough. I don't know many people that can sustain that level of sales pressure with longevity. I, I just haven't met many. But if instead, if the calls that you're making are just, hey, just wanted to reach out, came across this piece of news, I thought you might be interested in it. And that's the call that you're having. You can make those calls all day in perpetuity. So it's, do you want to be that flash in the pan, try and be super aggressive on every sales call, trying to close someone? Or do you want to build those long-term relationships that that will have much better payoff? Just takes time. That's the trade-off. All right. Maybe if you're in your 20s right now, you're like, no, I want the fast transaction. Let's go. I want the money. Hey, that was me. It works. It's all right. But man, you burn out quick. I did. I worked 110 hours a week. <laughs> and uh, But now maybe you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s and you're like, nah, I don't got the energy. <laughs> I want the long-term relationship and I want to create turn my clients into referral partners, you know, and then they just bring me more clients so that my marketing becomes effortless. See, now, now, now you're leveling up startup nation. Now I'm not saying you're ready to do that, but if you're ready to do that, start doing that. All right. We're speaking with Chad Griffiths and, uh, you know, you actually made this industrial real estate industry conversation, Quite interesting. So thank you for that. Well done. Well played, sir. Yeah, thank you. All right. I'm going to welcome you to my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the hustle round. I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about, about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. It's just for fun. It's like a game show with no prizes. Gotcha. Are you ready? Let's give her. All right. What's your favorite thing about owning your own business? Freedom. Freedom. What's your least favorite thing? Lack of freedom. <laughs> Every day is different. Chad, I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life. It's just part of the human condition. What are you currently challenged with right now, either professionally or personally? Staying motivated when... I've achieved a level of success that I didn't think I'd achieve at this stage of my career. I want you to expand on that answer. Go deeper. Tell us more. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, like I struggled quite a bit when I first started, like I was, I wasn't making a lot of money. I was stressed. I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. So when you start even seeing a little bit of results, you can't necessarily extrapolate your career and think that it's going to be exponential growth. You kind of think on those linear terms, or at least I did. Uh, so on those linear terms, I was thinking it's going to take me quite a long time before I get to the stage that I want to. But when you do have some exponential growth, uh, which I had both in brokerage and investing, I've gotten to a place where I, I didn't think I'd get to for another 10 or 15 years. So it's hard to keep the same hustle going that served me very well when I feel 10, 15 years ahead. Yeah. You know, comfort, man. Comfort could be a terrible enemy. It's like you work so hard to get comfortable financially, and then you get it, and then you're like, crap, I have no motivation <laughs> to go and do bigger or better. What's next? I don't know. All right. What are you most afraid of, Chad? 
the economy. I would say the economy scares me. Not even not even the short term economy. I, th- I think we're going to have some pressure in the next year or two, and I think there, there there could be some pain. I'm just worried that things shift. Who who knows what what happens? There's so many things just beyond my control. Uh, so I, I guess I could even broaden that beyond just the economy and things that are beyond my control. Uh, if something happens that uh, and wipes out my whole portfolio, wipes out my business. I think it's very remote, so I don't lose any sleep over it. But if I were to say the biggest thing that that scares me is things beyond my control. Yeah, welcome to being a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all have that. Mm-hmm. What did you spend way too much time doing your first year in this business? Uh, probably, probably studying. Uh, I probably spent too much time trying to get a a good understanding of the business. I think that you need all three of those. I think you need to focus on those relationships. You need to, you need to study the market and you need to study the industry. I think I spent too much time studying the industry and not that I regret doing some of it, but if that pie should have been an equal thirds on what you're spending your time doing, I think I spent just too much of that pie uh, studying the market. And I wish I would have focused even more on relationships. I, th- I think that I think relationships is the key. That's just there's people that I now know from when I started 17 years ago, uh, that, that have become very good friends and very good clients. And I wish that I would have doubled that. Because uh, mm. that would have just that would have led to that much more success. So yeah, that, I, I think that would be it is not spending enough time on my allocation. Yeah. I agree with that. I think if you spend 80% of your time building the relationships in your industry, um, man, those people will forgive all your mess ups, your mistakes, your lack of education, your lack of credibility. If they just see you getting it back up and just keep trying and they like you, I mean, eventually once you, you start to click, they're going to be like, I'm ready to do business with you or I'm ready to refer you now to someone. So I think, yeah, if you had to pick something to spend 80% of your time in, it's build the relationships mm-hmm. for sure. I agree. All right. What secret fear do you have about people? That they're, they're short-term thinkers. And I, I just don't, I don't resonate with short-term thinkers. And I think a lot of people are, I think, I think way too many people are short-term thinkers. And I just, I, I, every decision that I make, I'm, I'm thinking, yes, I need it. To, I need their short-term implications, but I, what does this do to me in the medium or long-term? I'm, I'm considering all those. And I think there's just far too many people out there that only think short-term and it's, it's just hard for me to, to jive with them. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, what do you wish you had learned sooner in business? Uh, I would go back to that original comment. I, I wish that I knew that pie chart of allocating your time to certain things. I came up, I, I had a rough idea when I first started. It's a lot easier for me to crystallize it in hindsight now. Uh, like, I don't know if I would have actually put that down in writing saying, these are the three things I'm going to focus on. And this is my business plan. This is how I'm going to monitor it. This is how I'm going to recalibrate as necessary. I, I wish that I had I codified that in like in an actual journal or a spreadsheet or something that I looked at every single day. Uh, so that if I had half an hour of downtime, what can I do with this half an hour to 
to work within one of these three things that I need to be doing. I, I that's one, I, 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 I think I did it as 17 years ago. So I'm trying my best to, to, to go back to that time. And, and again, in retrospect, I, I, it's easy for me to say that my young self did that. I know to, to an extent that that, cause I, I did it. There's proof that I had actually done it with courses and boards and things that I joined, but I really wish that I had visual put, put it on my wall so that as I'm getting out of my house, it's on my wall pie chart. Here's the three things that you need to be focused on. And I wish I just embodied that to the extent that that's all that I thought about is that my business is going to be a direct, the success of the business is going to be in direct relation to how much I focus on these three things. I, I wish that I would have just given it a lot more of an emphasis and priority. Yeah. All right. I think you uh, beat that point down because that, I mean, seriously, that's a, it's a good point, especially for your industry, but I think it carries over to any industry. Like that pie chart, those three things, focus on long-term relationships, building them, 80% of your time, Startup Nation, like in your industry right now. Mm -hmm. And then spend 10% of your time, we'll just, you know, kind of round it off. Spend 10% of your time educating yourself on your industry, your product, all of it. And then 10% of your time becoming the expert in your local market, like really mm -hmm. understanding your local market, your needs. Now, maybe you're, you're like not a physical business with a storefront location. So your local market might be your niche client, right? That, that avatar, what are those problems that that guy or gal are dealing with uh, right now in their business and you're going to help them, right? What is that? All right. I think that's powerful. Good stuff. What's a, a new habit you're going to create this year? I'd like to start getting up earlier. Uh, I, I'd love to be a 5 a.m. guy, and I'm not. I, I'm, I'm more of a night owl, uh, but I would love to be an, an earlier riser. Uh, so you can check back in with me uh, in, in a year and see if I've accomplished that or not. Uh, I've I've tried in the past. And I've never been able to consistently get up at 5 a.m. So we'll see. That's I'd love to be a morning person, though. All right. Got it. You know, yesterday, Monday morning, I did the 3.30 a.m. Wake wow. up. Let's go, baby. What wow. a great day. What a great day. All right. I think people will wake up earlier on Mondays if they actually, like, rested on Sundays. Mm -hmm. Like, it's kind of biblical, people. <laughs> There's a reason. <laughs> it's good for you. It's good for you, right? You're up late. You're watching sports games. You're doing all this stuff, man. Go to bed. Mm -hmm. Or at least take naps on a Sunday. Leisure. Stop working on your yard and knocking around the house. What are you doing? There's other days for that. All right. What's a bad habit you going to break? I'd like to I'd like to stop drinking, actually. And I'm not a big drinker, but like you, I would love to have a glass of port. I would love to have a glass of scotch. Uh and it's very, very difficult in if you're in business because it's just such a social element to it. Uh, but I I'd like to I would like to either significantly cut back or just quit. I'd love to just quit drinking. I think that like from a transformative standpoint, if you can be a guy that gets up at 3.30 like you uh, and then not drink, you're just that much better primed for success. Maybe I'm going to walk around with them and show up at parties with a bottle of port, but I'm going to have like water in it. <laughs> just they grape juice. They grape just juice. won't. Grape juice, right? <laughs> yeah, they'll never know. They'll never know. All right, pick three words to describe who you are now determined curious and weird 
Let's see. Pick, be the, the three that come to mind. <laughs> Pick three words to describe who you are your first year in this business. Nervous, determined. Third one. More weird? Yeah. I, I Yeah, weird. Weirder. I've, I've been, yeah. I, Less weird. I, I used to think that being weird was kind of a bad thing, but over time I've, I've just kind of leaned into being weird. Like I've got a mustache right now. Uh, it's uh, for Movember. So it's it, it, the mustache looks particularly weird. Uh, but I, I like there, there's a, there's a misnomer with weird. People think that like weird is awkward, but I think weird can be unique and weird can be different. Uh, and in a world of noise, standing out sometimes isn't necessarily a bad thing either. So yeah, let's, we'll go with weird for both. I can't be weird now and say I wasn't weird 17 years ago. So yeah, that's I, 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 yeah, I'm going with it. And last question, Chad, if you could come back to life after you died, look your family and friends in the eye and give them only one piece of advice about true success, real success in life. What would you say to them? Speaking from a lens of business context, because I think if I were to, I would have a different message for different people, uh, depending on whether it's family or not. But one thing that I, that I heard a long time ago, which resonated with me is wealth is what you cannot see. And we're, there's too many people that think that being rich is showing a night, driving a nice car, living in a mansion. And that might be true, but I still believe that wealth is what you cannot see. And that means investing in things, investing in you know, stocks or companies or buildings. Uh, th that's not, that's not glamorous. I can't take people by and show them a building that I own, uh, and, and be, have them be impressed with it. Wealth is what you cannot see. And I think if people look at it from that standpoint, that can solve a lot of money problems. Okay. Uh, now's your opportunity to give startup nation a homework assignment for this week. What's one action they must take this week in your opinion, for them to hit their first six figures or their seven figures? I would reach out to somebody you know who is influential and it can be called a lawyer that's a successful lawyer or can be just a successful business owner that you might know a little bit, but you don't know well. Reach out to them and see if, going back to the original conversation, see how, what you could offer them of value and see if you can tee up a time to grab lunch or coffee with them. And if you teed up in that conversation saying, Ron, Ron's a lawyer that I know in Dallas as the first name that came to mind, uh, he's, he's a really good guy. If I were to reach out to him and say, Hey, Ron, really like what you're doing. Uh, I saw a couple of your posts on LinkedIn, uh, really enjoy the value that you're putting together to people. Just wondering if we could perhaps grab coffee or lunch sometime. Uh, I'll, I'll bring a few resources that I think might even be helpful along the same line of the posts that you've been putting in. And and that's very abstract. Give it more time than how much I just spent on it. Cause I think you could finally tune that message to be a lot more concise and, and value add, but reach out to somebody, reach out to someone that you just know a little bit. Uh, hopefully they know of you and just see if you can grab a lunch or a coffee with them and it's sell them on why they want to grab it as opposed to how it'll benefit you. What what's in it for them? Not what's in it for me. What's in it for them? How can you get that person to take your lunch or coffee? And if that, if that person says no, then call someone else, book, book a lunch or coffee with somebody. Don't just call and then have a bad experience. And they're like, I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. That's fine. Really appreciate your time. Go on to the next person, book one person this week that you think that 
they could provide some value to, to you at some point down the road with no expectation of it being immediate. Call and book a lunch or a coffee with someone that you want to sit down with. And that meeting, and I'm not, I'm not overstating this, that meeting could change your life. Startup Nation, are you going to do it? Give me one good reason why you shouldn't. Oh, you can't? Okay, go do it. All right, we're speaking with Chad Griffiths. Uh, Startup Nation, did you enjoy this conversation with him today? Did he deliver so much value to you or even just one thing, one idea, one new possibility that is going to move you into action in an area you've been avoiding? If so, please go thank him by writing a five-star review. You could do it at Apple Podcasts. You could do it at Stitcher.com. Or you could go to First100K.com. First100K.com. Write your five-star review. Do it right now while your phone's out. Seriously. Go ahead. Come on. Fingers. Go ahead. Click. All right. And uh, if we like what you say about Chad, we're going to read your review, your five-star review live on the show. Like I'm going to do right now for TL Raider is the handle. TL Raider, thank you for your five-star review. Uh, he wrote, Joseph Warren has a podcast like no other. Joseph Warren's your first, one, first 100K podcast is practical and powerful with great guests and information that entrepreneurs can use in their daily, their everyday life from business to family. It's inspiring, down-to-earth, and motivating. Thank you so much, TL Raider, for your five-star review. Appreciate it. Happy to continue to serve you on a weekly basis. Startup Nation, I've been doing this show for going on five years now. Five years, people. Five years. Every week I show up and I spend time with you. We're doing business together. We're doing life together, aren't we? Hopefully I'm adding value to your life. But mostly my guests are. That's why I bring them on. We scour the earth for the best of the best, the elite entrepreneurs like Chad, and we bring them on for you. You're welcome. All right. We're going to head off here, but before we do, Chad, where can Startup Nation find out more about you, what you're up to, get involved with you, reach out to you? What do you got for them? Yeah, LinkedIn's great. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel. It talks mostly about industrial real estate, like 99% about industrial real estate. So it might not be relevant to everybody. Uh, but if you're interested in that, uh, it's on YouTube uh, or otherwise, yeah, LinkedIn is great. Okay, Startup Nation. Chad, thank you for being on this show, your first 100K. I wish you God's love, peace, and joy in your life, sir. And you as well. The third kid number three in the way in five months will be... It'll be awesome. Like I, I've got two, so you'll you'll be. Uh, uh, I'll I'll have to see how it goes for you because I don't think we have three in our way. But uh, I, th I really do thank you for for taking the time to do this. This was an awesome conversation. Loved all the questions. Have you tried absolutely everything and nothing has worked? Have you tried therapy? Have you tried coaching? Have you tried counseling? Christian counseling. Nothing's worked for you for your spouse. You just want better communication. When you wake up, do you feel like you want to crawl under a rock in the morning time? Is your brain so scattered and foggy at this point that you're not following through with things? You're not keeping your word in the matter. You're letting people down, maybe your own spouse or kids. Do you have way too much on your plate and you're getting more and more frustrated, which is turning into anger? Are you battling addictions right now? 
Are you an amped up or frantic person with a lot of anxiety and you're off and on of bipolar and depression medicines? If any of these you connect with, then what I do is specifically this. I do not do therapy. I do not do counseling. Those are for people that want to talk about their problems or learn different ways to cope and manage their problems. I don't do that. Reach out to me if you want to get rid of your problems permanently. Like be done with the addiction. Be done with the medications. Be done with the escaping your life because you just feel so powerless in it. If you want those results and you want peace, it's what we all want. We're all chasing it. We had it as kids. We lost it. Life beat the crap out of us. If you want peace, that's what I sell. It's God's peace. So you can find that at josephwarren.net. You can schedule a call with me, complimentary. I'll contribute 30 minutes of my time into your life. We'll get clear on what you actually want. Then we'll see if we're, we want to work together. And that's me interviewing you to see if you're ready. Are you ready to do what it takes? Some people try to come to me, but they're not ready to be coachable. They're not ready to get rid of the problems. Again, if you don't want to talk about your problems anymore and you've tried everything and nothing has worked and you want to permanently get rid of them, go to josephwarren.net and let's see if I'm your guy.